Praise the Lord. This is Brother Phil with another edition of Speaking the Truth in Love. Boy, am I excited. I know I say that almost every time, and I am. But today is really special. I've been researching and studying and praying and reading. Today's message is one of the most critical, most important messages ever. We are going to look at a doctrine that has been a great mystery for many people for centuries. False religions, cultists, heretics, atheists, and others have gotten a lot of mileage out of this. And today, we are going to demystify, debunk, and deliver ourselves out of ignorance and into the marvelous light of God's truth. Today's message is the Trinity, fact or fiction. Do Christians really worship three gods as the cultists claim? Without any further ado, here comes the message. God willing, I'll be back at the end with a closing thought. All right, brothers and sisters, this is Philip Del Rey speaking from the studios of Voice in the Wilderness Ministries. Uh, as we announced in our introduction, we are speaking on the Trinity. I think you should know that by God's grace, with the information contained Herein, we have led Muslims, atheists, agnostics, Jehovah's Witnesses, Nazis, Chicago street gang members, and various other people to the Lord with this teaching on the Trinity. Because if the Trinity is true, then Christianity is true. And if Christianity is true, then all the other religions are not. Do Christians really worship three gods, as the cultists claim? Is the Trinity a blatant contradiction and a damnable heresy? The Trinity is one of the most frequently attacked doctrines by the cults and false religions. Fortunately for critical thinkers, there are only five major religions in the world, and they are mutually exclusive. The only thing that they have in common is the fact that they have almost nothing in common. Most importantly, first and foremost, would be the nature of God. Christianity teaches that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the three distinct persons make up the one God. Islam teaches the strictest form of Unitarian monotheism, and the Trinity is polytheistic blasphemy, a damnable heresy, and an obvious contradiction. Hinduism says that there are 330 million gods. One of the reasons I'm not a Hindu is because I have trouble with names as it is. Buddhism doesn't believe in God at all, and Judaism rejects the deity of Christ, which is the foundation of Christianity. So logically, they're either all wrong or one is right and the others are wrong. They cannot all be correct. If we can discover the true nature of God, then we can know who we are and what our purpose is. In reality, and by the way, I'm going to start, when you look at Paul's epistles, his method of operation is to give the doctrine first and then the practical application. But today I want to give you the practical application and I want to show you that there are triunities all around us that we can comprehend. 
I believe that virtually everything in our physical world is a reflection of our Creator and uh, contains an illustration of spiritual truth. While perhaps no illustration of the Trinity is perfect, neither is this doctrine unfathomable, which the following examples will provide and prove. When we're done with this, then we will go to the scriptures and we will look at where theologians get the doctrine of the Trinity from. I'm going to start with the Old Testament. It's a fascinating look at how we see the triune nature of God in the Old Testament. That said, here are some practical illustrations of the Trinity in nature. Einstein's theory of relativity revealed the fact that life as we know it consists of three things. This is a trinity of trinities, time, space, and matter, which is energy. Interestingly, Einstein's relativity, which is a mathematical equation, math is a perfect science, fit the biblical account of creation perfectly. The very first verse in the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, that's time. God created, that's energy, the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. That's quite a coincidence. The fact is, creation is filled with illustrations of spiritual truth that reveal the many attributes of God, not the least of which is the Trinity. There are triunities all around us. Time is a trinity, the past, the present, and the future. The past is not the present, the present is not the future, the future is not the past. One is not the other, all are part of the same. None could exist without the other, and yet each one is distinct. Space. We live in a three-dimensional realm, height, width, depth. Height is not width, width is not depth, depth is not height. One is not the other, all are part of the same. None could exist without the other, and yet each one is distinct. Time, space, matter. Matter is made up of atoms. Atoms are made up of three primary components, protons, neutrons, and electrons. Protons are not neutrons. Neutrons are not electrons. Electrons are not protons. One is not the other. All are part of the same. None could exist without the other and still remain a complete atom, and yet each one is distinct. I'm grateful to Dr. Henry Morris and Dr. Adrian Rogers for those excellent illustrations. As a side note, speaking of atoms, 2,000 years after the New Testament was written, we still cannot see an atom. And 2,000 years ago in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, the Word of God says, quote, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Close quote. Interesting, too, is the fact that protons are positively charged and electrons are negatively charged. So, like trying to stick two magnets together, these two components should and do repel each other. Theoretically, atoms should explode, and scientists cannot figure out what holds them together. Going back to the scriptures, Colossians 1.17, speaking of Jesus, says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus Christ is the physical manifestation of the invisible God, and He holds all things together by the power of His Word. Getting back to the Trinity, 
The Bible says man is made in the image of God. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to this verse, man has a triune nature. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Originally written in Greek, these are three different words. Body is soma, soul is suke, and spirit is pneuma. One is not the other. All are part of the same. None can exist without the other, and yet each one is distinct. How about the human mind? Scientists tell us that the human brain is the most complex thing in the universe with an estimated 120 trillion connections. The brain houses the mind, and the mind is a trinity, the mind, the will, and the emotions. Your mind, that is your intellect, is not the same as your emotions, not the same as your will. One is not the other. All are part of the same. None could exist without the other, and yet each one is distinct. Time, space, matter, earth, wind, fire, water, the human body, the human mind, all triune in nature. I would not have time to cover all the trinities that we see. Another obvious one is water. One molecule of water consists of three atoms, two hydrogen and one oxygen. Pure hydrogen is highly flammable, and pure oxygen is highly flammable. So you can't drink pure hydrogen, and you can't drink pure oxygen. But if you put the two together in a two-to-one ratio, you have a third substance with which you can use to extinguish a fire, and then you can drink what's left. Can you rationally understand that? Shake your head, no, I have no idea how that works. Well, don't feel too badly. There's not a scientist in the world who can tell you how a brown cow can eat green grass and turn it into white milk. Trinities all around us. As you can see, whether or not you can rationally understand something does not preclude you from believing it, such as the example I just gave with water. Uh, another good one would be elect atomic theory. Uh, there might be some of you who do understand atomic theory, but most of us do not. But that does not prevent us from enjoying the benefits of the electricity that flows from our atomic power plants. I have just demonstrated for you, mathematically using Einstein's theory of relativity, which is scientific, and practically that the Trinity is not an unfathomable contradiction, but there are, in fact, triunities all around us. Anybody have eggs for breakfast this morning? It consists of the shell, the white, and the yolk. Were you eating three eggs? Well, I think even a chicken can, can get that one right. If you're still adamant that God cannot be a Trinity, I'd like to ask you the same question God asked Job in Job chapter 38. Quote, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Close quote. For a mortal man who has never seen God to state emphatically that God cannot be triune in nature, 
that it's beyond him to be in heaven, to be on earth, and to fill, to be ubiquitous, to be omnipresent in all places at the same time is to me a greater mystery than the Trinity, which I have just demonstrated is really no mystery at all. That's the practical side of the Trinity. I would like to get a little technical, but hang in there with me for a minute because this is fascinating. Uh, where do we see the Trinity in the Bible? How did uh, theologians come up with this idea? Well, it actually begins in the very first passage of Scripture. But before we go to Genesis 1-1, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 is known as the Shema. If you were to go to a synagogue today, uh, most likely the very first thing you would hear in Hebrew would be, uh, uh, I'll give you the English translation, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. To the Jew, this is the Shema, the main verse used from the Old Testament to declare to the nation and to the pagan world that Judaism is strictly monotheistic. However, if we go behind the English translation and examine the original Hebrew grammar, the literal translation of that verse in English would be, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Hebrew grammar of the word Elohim is a plural noun. And the word translated one or echad is a compound unity likened to a single cluster of grapes. Elohim is derived from the word El, which is a singular noun. El is a generic name for God, so Elohim is plural, which would be literally translated gods. In the beginning, gods created the heavens and the earth. Now, we can only assume that the reason this is mistranslated is because the translators were afraid that the uneducated might think that the Bible is teaching polytheism. So they digested it for us and translated it in the singular. However, rest assured, God uh, does not need lessons in Hebrew grammar. He says what he means, and he means what he says. In the list of Hebrew words which speak of oneness, this word echad often refers to a compound oneness in which a number of things together are described as one. The following sample passages illustrate the compound meaning of oneness. In Genesis 1.5, it says the Yam Achad, or the first day. It's a combination of two things, the evening and the morning, but it's called one day. In Genesis 2.24, Adam and Eve became Achad, or one flesh. In 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12, God gave the people one heart. Achad is the word that's used. Obviously, thousands of individual hearts were one in compound or co a composite sense. In Jeremiah 32, 39, under the New Covenant, it says God will give his people one heart. The word that is used is achad. 
The passages above are just a small sample of the many times the word achad is used of compound oneness, but it's enough to demonstrate beyond all doubt that the Old Testament, from the Law to the Prophets, used achad to express a unified or compound oneness. If we go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here we meet the Spirit of God. As we study God's word to man, we discover that the Holy Spirit is a person. See for yourself, which is in Isaiah 63.10. It says, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy. Those who deny the Trinity, such as the Watchtower Society, teach that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but rather an inanimate object. In Acts chapter 5, it says Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. You cannot lie to an inanimate object. You wouldn't say to a rock or go out in the driveway and say to your car, the check is in the mail or let's have lunch sometime. You can only lie to a person. And what happens when they discover they've been lied to? It grieves them. In Acts 13.1, the word says, Now in the church, that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit speaks in Acts 13. Now if we look at Genesis 1.26, the word says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. To whom is God speaking? It can't be angels. God created angels and created beings cannot create themselves or produce something from nothing. So God had to be speaking to someone who also had the ability to create. We see this divine fellowship again in Genesis 3.22. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. God's perfect Hebrew grammar, us, reveals at least two persons. Now, if we look at Isaiah 48, 12 through 16, we see the three persons of the Trinity in one breath. Here's what it says. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and his way will prosper. Come near me. Hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. There's the Trinity. And now the Lord God, that's Yahweh, God the Father, 
and his spirit, that's the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, have sent me. That's the person speaking. That's Jesus. That last word, me, is the person speaking who identifies himself in verse 12 as the first and the last. When we compare Isaiah 44, 6, in the Old Testament, when God says, I am the first and I am the last besides me, there is no God. And we compare that to Revelation 22, 13 through 16. The first and the last is revealed as none other than Jesus Christ. Here's one of my favorite ones from Proverbs 30, verse 4. I'll bet most of you have not seen this before. If you have, you may not have noticed it. Here's what it says. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if you know? Try asking a rabbi this question. He doesn't know the answer, but you do. In Matthew 3:16 through 17, the New Testament says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What is his son's name? Matthew 1.21 says, They shall call his name Yeshua, or Jesus in English. Yeshua means God is salvation. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. And of course, the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that word is Elohim. As we have already covered, it means it's the plural for God. Now, there are at least 50 more of these in the New Testament. We obviously don't need to or have the time to cover them all, so I'll just touch on a couple of highlights. In 2 Peter 1.17, the Father is called God. The word says, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So there we have God the Father. In Revelation, beginning in verse chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is called God. It says, quote, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. When we compare Revelation 1.8 to Revelation 22.12, we read, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And in verse 16 it says, And I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. 
In Acts chapter 5, verse 3 through 4, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan so filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So here the Holy Spirit is called God. In Revelation, Jesus is called God. In 2 Peter, the Father is called God. The three persons of the triune God. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Galatians 1.1 says, God raised Jesus from the dead. In John 2.19, Jesus says he raised himself from the dead. And in Romans 8.11, it says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. There are dozens more of these revelations on the Holy Spirit, but let this sample serve to confirm how God has revealed his triune nature in the pages of Holy Scripture. My friends, we have demonstrated for you that the Trinity is not an unfathomable, polytheistic, heretical, damnable heresy and an obvious contradiction. God is triune in nature just like you are. The implications of this truth are beyond words, beyond human description. It is unfathomable. This means if Christianity is true, then the other religions are not true, and there are billions of souls at stake, which represents a greater deception than all of the corruption and deception that's going on in our world right now. So, that said, I beg you to be reconciled to God if you don't know this great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you want to know more about our great God and the truth of God, you can go to our website, which is voice-wilderness.org. You can learn a lot more about God. There are dozens of free articles for you to study. This has been Philip Del Rey with Voice in the Wilderness Ministries. I thank you for listening to me today. I pray peace unto your house. May God bless you.